Well, all right, we'll turn to Matthew 28. You can be seated. Well, what a great God that we have. So thankful for you being here today, whether you're online or uh, live. And uh, neat, neat uh, uh, story. Somebody was in our first service, and I didn't recognize them. And uh, they had just moved back into the area. And um, they were in our church when they were a teen. Danielle, good seeing you as a, a teen brought up here as well. But uh, a teenager moved away, and now they have a teenager, and they're looking for a church. And uh, so I'm talking to Pastor Dean and said, why did you, someone asked him, why did you want to go to that church? Because of all the fond memories. I remember the lock-ins. I remember the uh, sporting activities. I remember, you know, connecting with my youth group. And that's what I want for my child. That, that's just powerful, isn't it? So welcome. So glad you have uh, joined us today and pray for God's uh, guidance in our life. I, I want to talk about distractions. So if you want to turn to Matthew uh, 28 this morning. We're going to look there in just a couple minutes, but uh, distractions come in our life so often. And uh, so I want to talk about really from a church perspective how that relates to our life. But let me pray. Dear Father, thank you for the hope that you give us. Lord, in a uh, world that is uh, fast changing, you are the rock, you provide stability, and you are our hope. Lord, uh, Grant hope to those that are listening online today. Whatever their circumstances, help them to trust in you and to lean on your word for answers. And God, I pray for those that are in attendance here, you're a blessing upon their individual lives. God, I pray for their marriages, their families. I pray for their friendships. God, bless them at school, at work, in their homes, and the community around them. And I, I pray that we would uh, be focused on the purpose that you've called us to. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Have you uh, ever gotten distracted in something like this? You said, you know, okay, I'm gonna mow the lawn today. And you go out to uh, start mowing the lawn, you realize, ah, we don't have any gas. So you hop in the car, get some gas, and you thought, well, since I'm out, maybe I can just run a couple of errands. You run a couple of errands, and then it's lunchtime, so you grab some lunch. You finally get back about uh, 2 o'clock. You're going to mow the lawn. You realize you have some other things. And, Lord, the, uh, the, the day has just gone by so quickly, just distractions in, in your life. Well, uh, I think that happens uh, a lot in life. I, I'll tell you how I kind of... Uh, work my life. I've heard the old phrase, plan the work and work the plan. And that's just what I try to do. So at the end of the week, I, <clears throat> I try to take some time look ahead in my uh, calendar and figure out what uh, things I need to do the next week. And I have a, uh, a paper to-do list that I put things, what do I have to do on Tuesday? What are the meetings I have? What are the plans I have? Uh, is there some ministry that I need to take care of? Is there some leader meetings? Uh, you know, all the things that I need to do throughout my week. And, and just to let you know, pastors don't work just one day a week. Have you ever thought that? It's really not uh, the case, but uh, you know, life can be pretty hectic in ministry. And I plan my uh, schedule out, and then I hit the office at the beginning of the week and just start uh, on the list of projects that I have, trying to accomplish those things on my to-do list, the things that I feel are important that I prioritized uh, uh, the week before, and just start on my list. But everything goes well uh, until distractions come along, right? You have distractions in your own life. There were things I did not expect to happen in my calendar when I was laying out that list. 
I kind of have an open door policy. I think, uh, you know, ministry is about people. It's not about projects. So uh, if somebody uh, uh, comes in or, you know, there's a ministry opportunity, I try to uh, take care of that uh, as well and enjoy ministering to people. And so sometimes the things I plan, and probably I should say often the things that I plan for uh, the week kind of get bumped because of some issues, distractions. Uh, In the military, they call that mission creep, right? In our own daily life, we see distractions coming about, all kind of of things that can come our way can be a big problem. Now, the church is people and the ministry is people, and so people are not uh, distractions. I I remember when I was associate pastor years ago, uh, I preached a message about the church as it grows will have more problems because people are problems, and my pastor reminded me later, people have problems, but they're not problems. And uh, after 28 years of ministry, I'm not sure, uh, of that, you know, sometimes people can be problem, but you know, probably me at the top of that list or whatever, but you know, people do have problems and we need to minister and we can be so busy in ministry that we're not ministering to people. We can be so busy in life that we're not taking care of people. It's one thing to be efficient doing things right, but it's another to be effective doing the right things. Now, next Sunday is Mother's Day. I hope you can be here, invite your family. I think it'll be a real special day. Um, But years ago, my mom, when my kids were still little, gave me this little poem. It's called Wet Oatmeal Kisses. And uh, in our life, if you have young kids, remember there's so many things that you can do that can distract you from the most important things. Let me just read this poem because I really enjoy it. The baby is teething, the children are fighting. Your husband just called and said, eat dinner without me. One of these days you'll explode and shout to the kids, why don't you grow up and act your age? And they will. Or you guys get outside and find yourself something to do and don't slam the door and they don't. You'll straighten your bedrooms all neat and tidy, toys displayed on the shelf, hangers in the closet, animals caged. You'll yell, now I want it to stay that way and it will. You will prepare a perfect dinner with a salad that hasn't had all the olives picked out and a cake with no finger traces on the icing. And you'll say, now this is a meal for company and you'll eat it alone. You'll say, I want complete privacy on this phone call. No dancing around, no pantomimes, no demolition crews, silence, do you hear? And you'll have it. No more plastic tablecloths stained with spaghetti. No more anxious nights under the vaporizer tent. No more dandelion bouquets. No more iron-on patches, wet knotted shoestrings, tight boots, missing mittens, or ponytails falling out. Imagine a lipstick with a point. No babysitter. Washing clothes only once a week. No parent meetings, carpools, Christmas presents out of toothpicks and paste. No more wet oatmeal kisses. No more tooth fairy, giggles in the dark, or knees to heal. Only a voice crying, why don't you grow up? And the silence echoing, I did. Wow, that's a very sobering thought. You know, we have one opportunity to raise our kids. Don't be distracted from work or success or position or finances, whatever. Make sure the priority stays the priority. It's not about the housework. It's not about all the things you have to do. It's about people. Life is about people. Make sure we minister 
to people, make sure we care for the people in our life. And as a church, the same thing. If we're not careful, we can get distracted as well. What really is important? Young people ask the question, what am I going to do when I grow up? Or what am I gonna be when I grow up? What am I passionate about? What am I, uh, why am I here? What is my purpose in life? Rick Warren, who wrote the book Purpose Driven Life, the book simply starts this way. It's not about me. It's not just about your own personal success. How can we minister to others? He wrote another book for church leaders. It wasn't The Purpose Driven Life. It was called The Purpose Driven Church. And he said, ask yourself, Christian leaders, two questions. Number one, what's your business? What is it that God calls you to do? And then secondly, ask yourself this question, how's business? Not only what does God want you to do, but how are you accomplishing what God wants you to do? If you were here at Christmas, we took up a Christmas offering to do a number of things, and one of them was to hire a church consultant. And uh, the leaders have been meeting. They've done three things, reach out to the community around. What is our community like? And uh, there is major growth. Stafford County, one of the largest growing counties in the country and maybe the top in our state right now. We're looking at the community, looking at the church family. We ask uh, many of you to take a, a test, a, a little survey about our church. What are strengths? What are some areas we can improve on? And then uh, last week we met with the church leaders and looked at some personalities, looked at where we are as a church. What can we do over the next 10 years? We're coming out of the pandemic. We're making changes. We have transitions uh, in life. What is our 10-year plan as we kind of move ahead uh, so we can be the church that God wants us uh, to be? What are some areas that we can improve on? And so we're talking in this series we just started uh, called The Church, Loving What Jesus Loves. We said Jesus loves the church, so we should love what Jesus loves. Jesus died for the church. And the church is not perfect. Your family's not perfect, it has flaws, you're not perfect, the church isn't perfect, our country isn't perfect, why? Because we're made of imperfect people. But Jesus still loves the church and he's working to transform the church, to make it to be more like him, to have the church to be without spot and without wrinkle. One day there's gonna be this glorious reunion when all believers are caught up into heaven and there's going to be a marriage where Jesus and his bride or the church come together and gather for all eternity. Jesus loves the church through its flaws, through its problems. And last week, one thing we talked about, the importance of the church gathering. God wants us to gather together, relationships, fellowship, the assembly, congregating together. Uh, if you are online, you see yourself as our church, make sure you get connected to a small group so we can meet as the church family as well. And uh, God created three institutions. When he started uh, the Bible, he created Adam. He said, there's something that's not good, and he instituted the family. God designed uh, the home. And then God designed community and the government. And then in the New Testament, Jesus established the church. Those three institutions to help us with loneliness so we can have those relationships, so we can connect with other people. They all have a separate purpose. They all have an important aspect. And when it comes to the church, as we're talking today, what is it that God wants the church to do so we can make sure that we're not distracted? 
Well, last week I shared a verse and I only dealt with the first part. It's in Mark chapter three, verse 14. And I I want us to take a look at it again and look at the latter part of this verse. The first part says, then he, speaking of Jesus, appointed 12. Remember, he called the disciples or the apostles that they might be with him. The importance of relationships. God has a great design. And so Jesus, when he started his church, he called these disciples. He wanted to spend time with him. But not just to come together, not just to become uh, larger, not just to gather together, but to do something in particular, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. He sent them out. Someone said, don't judge a church by its seating capacity, but by its sending capacity. It's not just us coming together but it's about what we can do as we go to take the message. Remember the Old Testament was about the nation of Israel. God had a a special promise for this nation. There was a kingdom that he wanted them to establish. Abraham, the father of the Jews, and David, the king of the Jews, was gonna have this mighty kingdom. It's still prophetic. It's still to come in the future. But uh, Jesus came and offered that kingdom. In 15 chapters in the book of Matthew, Jesus, the king, offers a kingdom to these people, but they keep rejecting it. He tells many parables about how uh, the son was gonna come and they killed the son, all all these things, and made all the religious leaders so mad that eventually they were going to kill Jesus, but they rejected this kingdom. And so in Matthew 16, Jesus does something quite uh, incredible. He throws a wrench into what the Jews thought were going to happen. They were expecting this great kingdom to come. The disciples thought they were going to be great leaders. Judas Iscariot, he controlled the money because he thought, if I'm going to be a part of this kingdom, I can control the money, man. I'll have it made. So he was expecting to have this great visible kingdom. And then Jesus does something in Matthew 16, 18. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and then Jesus says, upon this rock himself, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Three things. The first is that the church belongs to Jesus. He calls it my church. Sometimes people will say, oh, this is Pastor Wilcox. His church is Choice Baptist Church, but I want you to understand it's not my church. If this is my church, you shouldn't have any part of it because I'm not the leader that God calls. Jesus is the head of the church, right? It belongs to him. It's not about what we can personally do or our wishes or what we want. Jesus said, I will build my church, his assembly. It belongs to him. We don't look at what we want. We look to Jesus, say, Jesus, what do you want from us? And he told us, we'll just see in a minute what our purpose is. He said, I will build my church. Not only does it belong to him, it's his responsibility to build it. He wants the uh, church to reach outside of its walls and to minister to other people. Well, you know, I just want to, here's what happens in Stafford County. If you move to Stafford County and many people move from Northern Virginia, they don't like the hectic Northern Virginia. So they move down here, right? Better prices, a little less traffic. But they want to be the last one, right? We kind of want to lock the door. We don't want anybody else to come in. We don't want more traffic, more difficult, more buildings and stuff. We want to kind of lock it up. Same thing in a church. Well, I just, you know, I just want to be a part of a church that is small and ministers to us. And, and certainly it's great to be a part of a family church. But let's remember it's not about our seating capacity, it's about our sending capacity. We want to be available to minister to people. 
God calls us to go. And he said, I will build my church. And then he has this incredible promise. Look at the last part of it. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. That's his promise. I am gonna work on the church and the church will remain in existence. That's his beautiful promise that he has for God's people. And then something happens in verse 21. Jesus establishes the church and then here's what he says to his disciples. From that time, before this, Jesus is offering a kingdom. And if they accept him, then he's going to set up this great kingdom, this Jewish kingdom, but they rejected it. So from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes. Now, there are different Old Testament promises. Some talk about a suffering service, uh, servant, what Jesus did in his first coming, but also talks about Jesus, the Messiah, being a reigning king. They weren't looking at a suffering servant. They were looking for someone that's going to be the king. They were expecting this kingdom. And when Jesus comes, they were expecting him to do it. And from that time, Jesus says, I'm going to suffer and something else, and I'm going to be killed. You're leaving us? You're gonna be killed? That's not what we were expecting. We wanted something different. We were expecting this physical kingdom, this universal kingdom where you were in control and you're gonna die, but he also goes on, he says, and I'm gonna raise, be raised again the third day. It was so bewildering to them, Jesus tells them time and time again, and when we get to the crucifixion, they're looking like, what is going on here? Remember how confused they were? I mean, they were depressed, they were discouraged, they were fearful, like, what is going on? They just couldn't believe all these, and Jesus said, I've told you time and time again, I'm going to die because Jesus dies for his church. And he gives us this plan after his death, burial, and resurrection. He comes back to his disciples. Now, they're gathered together. They said, if they killed our leader, what are they gonna do to us? So they're hiding out, all right, in this upper room. They are scared that they're about to be crucified, that they're gonna be martyred as well. And Jesus shows up in Matthew 28, verse 17, and when they saw him, they worshiped him. That was good, <clears throat> but some doubted. Now, can you understand why they would doubt? They just saw Jesus. Is he really back to life? Is this true? They were doubting. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He says to the guys, I want you to, Remember that I'm the leader here. I have the authority. I have the power. I have the control. This is my church. It's not about a person. It's not about a pastor. It's not about the members. It's not about what we can do or what we have done. Jesus says, all authority is given to me. That's why we surrender to him. That's why our daily life is to offer ourselves to God. It's a living sacrifice. We make ourselves available. He is the king of our life. He's the Lord uh, of our life, and we trust him. He's the head of the church. All power is given unto me, he says. He says, I have all authority. And then he gives us, in the next two verses, our marching orders. He tells us why the church was created, what is it in existence for, what is our priority. In verse 19, look at what it says. Go therefore, notice he tells us to go, and make disciples. Those two words is simply what God calls us to do. I want you to make 
disciples. That's why you're here. Well, I want a certain kind of music. It's not about a certain kind of music. It's about making disciples. Well, I want to dress this way or this way. It's not about how we dress. It's about making disciples. Well, I want to be a part of a small church or a large church or whatever. No, it's not about that. It is about making disciples. Well, I sure would like to have this, or when I was growing up, this was in the church. None of that really matters. Here's what matters. We're here to make disciples. Life has transitions. Things change in life. Uh, you know, we, uh, I can remember uh, things, I grew up in church in the 70s, things were different than they are today. I think of, you know, going to school, things are different. We talked about uh, the internet last week. I mean, life changes, transitions take place, but our purpose does not change. We don't want a mission creep. We don't want to get distracted. We don't want to get off course. No matter what comes our way, it's not about who the pastor is or who a certain uh, person is. It is about what Jesus calls us to, right? Go therefore and make disciples. And notice how big his kingdom is to be. Of all nations. The word just simply means of every single ethnic group, of every tribe, every language, every culture. See, this isn't a, a, about white Christianity, or it's not about a particular culture. It is for God so loved the world. He loves everybody. Take this message to every nation, every people group. Make disciples of all nations. And then after we get saved, what are we to do? We're to get baptized. The word just simply means to immerse. For hundreds and hundreds of years after the time of uh, uh, Jesus, people, there was only one way to baptize, and they immerse. And so that's the way we do it today. We don't get baptized to become a Christian. That water has no bearing on the forgiveness of sins. It is about the blood of Jesus, not the water in that tub. It's not a holy water. It's just simply water. It is just that demonstration that Jesus is Lord, and I want to follow in baptism. Salvation first, and then secondly, baptism, to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then verse 20 says, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Jesus said to his disciples, remember all those things I'd been teaching you for three years? Well, I want you to get people saved, and I want you to get them baptized, and I want you to teach them what I've been teaching you for three years. That's what it means to make disciples. At our church, we call it our four E teams, or we call our strategy MRI, to minister to people, to build relationships, and to get involved. We go into the world and take the message of Jesus so people can hear. And this great commission, as we see, is in the book of Matthew. We go to the end of the book of Mark. It's there. It's in the book of Luke as it concludes. It's in the book of John. All four gospels have this one truth that we call the great commission. Now let's remember, don't get distracted. There's all kinds of things we can get distracted with. Just like that mom with her uh, hectic schedule with her little kids and the poem is just saying, don't get distracted away from your kids. Love on your family, right? Don't get distracted. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then the book of Acts begins. And if you look through the book of Acts, and a few weeks ago I said I was reading through the book of Acts when uh, Paul and I came to start the church. We said, okay, how does the church function? What is the, the goal of the church? What is the history of the church? That's the book of Acts. And here's, <clears throat> we call it the book of Acts, but if we look at the whole name, do you know what it is? The Acts of the, anybody remember? The Apostles. The Acts of the Apostles. What is an apostle? It just simply means a sent one. 
one that has been sent out. In Latin, the word is missionary. To be sent out, to go. Jesus called his disciples, they were with him so he would send them out. Jesus talks to uh, his disciples after his resurrection. He says, go, take the message to the world. Don't get distracted. And so two things happen in the book of Acts. The first thing is that they go. They're getting people saved. They go to all these different regions, people get baptized. They get baptized, they start learning the Bible. And an incredible thing takes place. When you preach the gospel, you baptize people, and you see them learning the Bible and getting connected and becoming members of that church, do you know what else comes about? A church. So the book of Acts talks about the early church and all these churches that were being established. In Acts 13, we're gonna see in just a second that the uh, disciples went out to preach the gospel, to see people baptized, and they came back, and in their second missionary journey, they simply said this, let's go back to the churches. You see, that's what was established, churches. God loves the church. Make sure we stay connected with the church. And these apostles, these sent ones, go out. But something else takes place in the book of Acts. Not only did they start churches, but at times they got distracted. That's how our life goes, then that's sort of how the early church, well, church throughout history, they got on track, did the right thing, they'd get distracted, they had to get back on track, they'd get distracted, you know, over and over again, and that's how it happens in our lives very often. Getting refocused, what is the focus? Well, in Acts 13, after several distractions uh, take place, they were lying about money, there was a culture wars, where people got comfortable, Peter was deciding whether Gentiles could really become part of the church, all these kind of questions throughout the first 12 chapters. And in chapter 13, verse one, notice what Acts 13, one says. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, uh, who had brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. So all these different people, all these different people groups, there was great diversity in the church. And they ministered to the Lord and fasted. And then the Holy Spirit said, now separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work where I have called them. God was calling these people to do a special work for him. You know, it's great over the years seeing people that were brought up in our church and God speaking to their heart about going and sharing their faith with others and bringing their friends to church and uh, some ultimately going to Bible college and, and going into the ministry. And we think of, of young people in our church today <clears throat> that believe God's gonna use them to be pastors and missionaries in the years ahead. It's a wonderful thing. And I try to pray for these young people that we don't get distracted. It's easy to get distracted by a big paycheck or sin or uh, dating or whatever the case might be. We don't want our kids to get distracted. Why? We want to focus on our purpose. And then in verse three, then having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them, and here's that word again, and sent them away. They became the missionaries, to go and to see other churches started. And do you know what God calls us to do? God calls us to pray for our missionaries. He wants us to give so missionaries can go. 
He wants us to become the missionaries to the community around us and the world. You know, could God want to use you to be a missionary around the world so we can take the gospel and see people saved and baptized and growing and churches established? And how did we get here? Well, there's some Christian that told you about Jesus, right? More than likely, they were a Christian that were connected to a church that they had gotten saved and they would gotten baptized and they were learning the scriptures, they were becoming a disciple and they understood the importance of following the Lord and taking that message. And you came to faith, why? Because there was a church that was established. I told you the history of my church and Walter Phelps coming to Northern Virginia and through that, my family trusting Jesus. Later, that church sending me down to Fredericksburg to start this church and then us helping other churches to get started as well. See, that's what missions is. I think of a friend of mine, Mike Garlam, who is getting ready to start a church in, in North Stafford and how we can be involved. I've asked him to, to come at some point just to share some opportunities, how we as a church can help him. We're part of a, a group that starts churches, and right now there's a church in Richmond. Uh, it was started right before the pandemic. And at that point, I was, my role was to stay in contact with the, the people starting churches. And so he was starting a church pre-pandemic. And as the pandemic was going on, I kind of got busy and I kind of forgot to talk to him for a while. And I'm like, man, the guy just started a church. It's a pandemic. I, I finally contacted him and said, man, Brock, how's it going? He said, it is going great. You know, everything's locked down so people can't do anything. And I have all these young people wanting to get together. They're coming over to my home. We're having church on Sunday. There's many of them online. And they had about 40 young people in their church. Uh, during the pandemic, a church was started. Like, hey, that's great. And we have part in those kind of things. I have a friend named Mike Knapper. Uh, he's kind of a unique missionary. He doesn't fully live on the field. He kind of goes back and forth to Africa, but he does a lot of kind of bush uh, in the, uh, you know, kind of the deep dark missionaries as you think about going to different regions and stuff. And a couple years ago, he called me and he said, hey, Tim, we are taking some teams into some areas and we need ice to last for several days. He said, do you think your church could buy a Yeti cooler for us? And, I, and he told me how much it was. I'm like, for a cooler, that much money? You know, but uh, I don't know, $400 or whatever. He said, yeah, we'd love to help out. And he, <clears throat> he would send me pictures of, of uh, teams going into uh, these bush areas in Africa and doing ministry. About a month or two ago, he said, I'm gonna be back in the States and to help us to do some ministry, he, he sent me a video and he said, one way to start a church is by playing soccer. And he had this uh, great video of a bunch of young people playing soccer. Well, they'd play soccer. They would get together and they'd do some kind of a cookout. The families would come together. <clears throat> that evening, they would show a Christian movie and then they would preach the gospel. People would come to know Jesus. They would get saved and they were starting these churches. And he said, <clears throat> it would really help if we had a really high quality grill. Well, because of a, the Christmas often we, we took up, we had some extra funds that hadn't been uh, used. We, we were praying for 15,000, it was like 17,000 had come in. We said, well, let's take that extra money and put it toward our, our, our missions so we can do more. And so we recently bought him a grill. And so he was stateside and he, he, he took a, a couple pictures of him practicing out on this grill. And he said, we're gonna take that back to Africa. We're able to take mission teams. If Americans come, we'll be able to cook for them. We'll be able to go 
to these places. We have ice, we have food, we have all these things. We're gonna minister to people. We're gonna cook some food, invite families in and preach the gospel. And a grill and a soccer game can be used to see the Great Commission fulfilled. That, just exciting things. That many things that <clears throat> and when you give, you may not hear about, you may not know about. Now, there's, there's plenty of, of negatives. I mean, we could look at society. We, we are, have concern for our Christian liberties. We could look at a post-pandemic church age uh, where many people have stopped going to church. Will they come back? There have been churches that have been closed because of the pandemic. Pastors no longer doing ministry because of such a discouraging year. We live in a post-Christian era uh, that uh, many people, studies say that less than 50% are connected to a church today. I mean, there's a lot of things we could be negative about. But let me say this. I have read the end of the story. And if we look at the book of Revelation, you see, we don't have to live in fear. We don't have to feel like, hey, everything is distraught and everything is negative. Hey, let's read the end of the story. And here's how the end of the story goes. In Revelation 5, 9, here's what the Bible says. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy. That's an event that's gonna take place in heaven. All the believers of the church age caught up into heaven. And you know what we're doing? We're just simply worshiping Jesus Christ. You were worthy to take the scroll and to open the seal. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Now notice how far his redemption goes. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Do you know what we call that? That's the Great Commission. Every people group, every language, every culture. You see, we're on the winning side. And he says it again two chapters later in Revelation 7. After these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, people, and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Notice how they're dressed, clothed with white robes. Remember, Jesus is busy sanctifying the church. He's giving us robes that are without spot and wrinkle. And people from every single people group of this world, every culture, every color, every country. See, that's the end of the story. It's good news. We're on the winning side. Isn't that great? Isn't that exciting? We don't have to fear. Jesus gave us a promise. Now, I'm a conservative, and I hear my conservative friends sometimes, man, if this guy gets into office, the church is going to be doomed. Well, I mean, times seem bad, and there may be persecution and difficulties, but Jesus gave us a promise. Do you remember what he said? I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. No, the church will go on. No matter who's in political office, no matter what's going economically, Jesus gives us this beautiful promise and we see it fulfilled in the book of Revelation. Here's just a couple questions. Since the Great Commission will be accomplished, how will I enter into God's program? What is it that God wants from me? Young person, you're here today. What is it that God wants from me? How does God wanna use me personally? How will my family enter into God's program? At the end of our life, what's really gonna matter? 
right? What's important? It's about serving God. The way we say it around here, it's impacting lives for God's glory. How can we make a difference in the world around us? And then last, how will our church enter into God's program? What is it that God wants for our church? You know what, it's easy to get distracted. Things change, life happens, right? We've gone through a crazy year and things are different today than they were a year ago. If you're just coming back, you're like, man, my, my kids, some of them have moved away and they come back and like, wow, well, the church is very different. It is, life changes, right? All kinds of things, but you know what? Here's one thing that doesn't change, it's God's plan. And maybe you're going through a discouraging time in your family, you have kids that aren't in church or they're really questioning some things. You know what? Well, pray for them. And let's make sure we're taking the message to them and to our, our grandchildren, our grandparents, the people that are around us. Let's make sure we're sending out missionaries and that we give not just our, our, our first fruit giving and that of our tithes, but giving over and above that to our missionaries so they can take the message to the world. Let's pray for them. Let's walk out of here today to be sent ones. Who is it that you can share your faith with? Who is it that's going to be your waiter at a meal today or is going to be your teller at the grocery store or you have to pick something up at Walmart? And I know you're waiting in a long line and you get frustrated and like, well, won't they hurry up or whatever. Just share the love of Jesus with them. There's some little flyers as soon as you go right on the welcome table as you leave here. I didn't pass many out over the past year because during the pandemic, <clears throat> you hand somebody a piece of paper, they don't want to take it, right? But you know what? Things are changing. And so just consider uh, taking uh, a gospel track, some literature, and giving it to somebody or when you have a tip, leave a good tip for somebody and just leave them a little uh, gospel invitation. Thanks for serving me today. Jesus loves you. And that little paper can tell them how they can know they're going to heaven. Let's just bow our heads for a minute as the team comes. It's easy to get distracted. Let's make sure we stay focused. You're discouraged? Remember how Revelation ends. <clears throat> Jesus fulfills his plan and he uses the church. Let's love the church. Let's get connected to the church. If you've never been saved, that's your most important decision you'll ever make. Trust Jesus Christ as Savior. If you know Jesus, have you made that personal decision to follow the Lord in believer's baptism? Not talking about what your parents did for you as an infant, but you personally, has there been that time in your life that you demonstrated the death, burial, and resurrection by that beautiful picture of baptism. And then being discipled, getting connected to a small group, joining uh, the church, getting involved in ministry, and us going, not just coming here, but us being sent out. Dear Father, I ask that you would use this time. May you be glorified as we share the incredible message of your love.